0: All right. Well, I'm super excited to be introducing Jocelyn Davis here on the seventh episode of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Jocelyn's got a great new book that releases today. It's called The Greats on Leadership, Classic Wisdom for Modern Managers. And this was so fun chatting with her about this. And it's all about what uh, the greats have to say about leadership, the great thinkers from the great books uh, throughout the, the centuries, whether that's Plato or Mary Shelley with Frankenstein or uh, Carl Jung, all of them. So we've got a, a good smorgasbord there of insight here. And it was, it was a lot of fun chatting with her. Clearly uh, towering intellect made me think of some of the smart folks in, in my book club. Shout out to A&O, Ails Orthodoxy, what what. And so that was fun just to have a chat through these books so there are many just fantastic nuggets of inspiration and insight kind of a smorgasbord if you will some of the tops i'd highlight up front are one jocelyn's biggest performance takeaway she gained from serving for decades as a senior executive in a global leadership development firm two machiavelli's surprisingly soft side when it comes to some of his change management advice and three how carl jung's original thinking on psychological type is really a bit uh, edgier than some of today's Myers. Briggs conversations you tend to hear. And so, as always, if you want to check out some of the visuals associated with this episode, whether that's the transcript, the show notes, the links to things mentioned, the book, etc., you can find that at at awesomeaboutyourjob.com slash ep7, letters E-P, then the number seven. So Jocelyn's story is, she is an author and consultant with 25 years experience in the corporate learning industry. Before founding her company, Seven Learning, she was head of R&D for the Forum Corporation a global leadership development firm. She is the co-author of Strategic Speed, Mobilize People, Accelerate Execution, and has published widely on leadership, strategy, execution, and workplace learning. Her clients have included companies such as Microsoft, Disney, and Utilever. Known as an exceptional leader herself, she is the recipient of awards for excellence in management and product innovation. She holds an MA in philosophy and is currently working on another master's in Eastern Classics. She lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with her husband and daughter. Jocelyn, thanks so much for being here on the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast.
1: Hi, Pete, great to be with you.
0: Well, that is an impressive lineup that you have in your bio and I wanna ask all sorts of questions. But before we get there, you know, I'd love to hear, what's something uh, fun in life that's uh, keeping you busy that is not on the bio?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, actually, (laughs) funny you should ask. I I don't know if many people would call this fun, but I call it fun. I'm actually doing a master's in Eastern classics at St. John's College, which is here in Santa Fe. So this just shows that I'm kind of the nerd of the world here and addicted to studying great books of all kinds. But I I wanted to go on from my studies of Western philosophy and study some some stuff from the East. So that's what I've been doing for the past six months or so.
0: Oh, well, I do think that's fun. I took four years of Latin in high school, but I don't know much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am studying Sanskrit now, believe it or not, because they have a language requirement. So I'm studying, yes, Sanskrit.
0: Oh, fun. Well, my (laughs) people are Lithuanian is my heritage, and I understand the Lithuanian language uh, descended from Sanskrit. Oh, and yes. That's all I know about Sanskrit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. So we'll, we'll go there. So I, I want to spend most of our time kind of hearing about some of these great gems that you have inside your, your book, uh, releasing this week here, The Greats on Leadership, A Classic Wisdom for Modern Managers. But before we go there, I want to hear, you spent some great time as the Vice President of Research and Development for the Forum Corporation, and, and that's an international training company of, of sizable number of people and, and revenue. So I just have to ask while I've got you, what were some themes you discovered over the course of researching and developing training materials and and how adults learn Is there anything that kind of comes to mind as you reflect upon those years of career?
1: Oh, wow. Great question. So I was actually there for 23 years. So wow. I have a lot to sort of reflect back on there. But I guess what I would point to most of all is I, to, just to get a plug in here for my other book, my previous book, which really was, was written at Forum with some of my colleagues there. And that book was called Strategic Speed. And it really uh, sort of summed up a lot of what I had learned over about 20 years working at Forum. And that really, the, the point of that book, Strategic Speed, is that in order to create speed or efficiency in business, you really need to focus on the people. Yeah. Which is not surprising. I mean, everybody would kind of say, yeah, yeah, you know, we know that. But when you look at what companies actually do, what leaders actually do to try to speed things up, to try to, you know, make change happen or to install new systems or, you know, any kind of execution effort, what leaders tend to do is focus more on the process and the technology and the systems and they often forget to focus on the people. But what, what our research showed in that book and, and over many, many years at Forum was that, you know, at the end of the day, it's you're going to go fast or slow, be successful or not successful, depending on whether the people are on board. So that's what that whole book was about. And uh, I've tried to bring a lot of that thinking about, you know, it's about the people into into my new book as well.
0: Interesting. So When you say speed, I I guess I'm imagining in practice that can translate into you have fewer people uh, dragging their feet or hiding out and hoping that you don't notice them if you've taken the time to get them all kind of on board and rowing in the right direction. Is that a fair uh, kind of articulation of some of that or is there sort of a a different angle?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. It's that. And what I would add to that is and what we talk about in that book is these three people factors of clarity, unity and agility, which people always like, I think, because mostly because it's easy to remember, but Go also on. because what those factors really speak to is is just as you said, it's, it's you know, people tend to, leaders, business leaders tend to want to sort of skip over all that clarity, you know, getting people clear about the direction, getting people unified around the direction and making sure that people are agile, sort of willing to adapt, they tend to want to skip over that stuff because it takes time. And so you got to, but if you skip over it, then you end up going slow rather than going fast. So you, you kind of have to go slow at the beginning and address these factors of clarity, unity and agility so that you can go fast down the road.
0: Okay. Understood. And so, so now I'd love to chat a bit about this book here because it, it hits home for me because I actually recently concluded a series of workshops. I was training a team of engineers, and, and so I was, had some parting gifts for them, which were a wide variety of books that I think are wonderful and that just everybody should know about and help kind of reinforce and review some of the content that we shared. And one of the participants noted, every one of these books you're giving us was written in the last 20 years. Mm. Is there anything that we should learn from uh, uh, Lao Tzu, Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu, The Art Mm -hmm. of War, Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. or, uh, the the Greek classics that is like, ooh, he got me there. (laughs) I thought, well, there is, but I think you'd have to work a little harder, I think, to, to mine some of those nuggets and to apply it to your... Uh, daily work life. Is that accurate? Is there some extra work that has to be done to mine and translate or is it kind of ready to go?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. There is extra work to be done. There's a lot of extra work to be done to mine and translate. And the, the good news is that I've done the work. Mm. So, I mean, I'm so passionate about this issue as as it sounds like your colleague was as well, that, that just this this idea of helping people see that the, you know the real leadership wisdom has been around for 2500 years. I mean, people have been have been saying all this stuff about how to lead and how you know, how to communicate, how to motivate, how to make good decisions, how to you know, I mean, you name the leadership topic, a, a great author or or thinker has talked about it sometime in the past 2500 years. But what hasn't been done is The work, as you say, to I mean, it's it's not easy to go back and read all those books and figure out well, what are what you know, what's Plato really saying about justice, or what's what was Machiavelli really saying about change. So I have done that work, um, and uh, you know, sort of curated it. Really, this book is sort of a, a tremendous curation project, is one way to look at it, to compile and curate that wisdom from those you know two and a half millennia of great thinkers.
0: Well, that does sound extensive, like that, that's not something you wrap up over a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: it took about two years.
0: Oh, mercy. Yeah, well, well. so I would love it. Well, I've got so many questions here, but maybe I'll let you kick us off. So who do you think perhaps is a thinker who's perhaps underappreciated, underrepresented, yet has a fantastic... Sort of takeaway that we should be actively incorporating in into our leadership and work lives.
1: Wow. Okay. So I know because you told me in advance that you are a fan of Myers Briggs. It's true. And so I'm going to <laughs> open the door here that you've you've or walk through the door that you've opened here and talk about Jung, C.G. Jung, um, who is one of the um, uh, authors featured in the book. There's there's uh, about 25 altogether, and I'm hard pressed to pick just one. But I'll just talk for a second about Jung because he is, you know, great psychologist, um, wrote many, many uh, long treatises, and one of them is called Psychological Types. And Psychological Types is where the Myers-Briggs type indicator, the MBTI, comes from. So what is interesting to me about Jung, however, is that given the popularity of the MBTI in business today, it's by far the most popular type assessment or personality assessment that's used in many, many organizations. And a lot of people know that it has its origins in, in Jung, but what a lot of people don't know is how Jung when, when you go and you actually read Jung's psychological types and you see what he was saying about these types, it has more of an edge to it, I would say. Oh, do tell. Yeah, so the thing about Myers-Briggs, and, and I, I love the MBTI, so don't get me wrong. I'm an INTJ, and I love right. knowing my um, colleagues' types, and I used to do this with my team. I would have you know, have them do the MBTI. we talk about it, so I think it's great. But what Jung does is he takes it sort of three or four steps deeper in that he doesn't say, well, it's just important to know your type and it's important to know other people's types and then you'll gain you a greater appreciation for different personalities. He also says, you've got to integrate the different sides of your personality. So that means acknowledging and finding healthy ways to integrate your other side. So in other words, it's not okay, like for me as an introvert to just say, well, I'm an, I'm an introvert, and so I'll just be introverted and kind of go with that. Because what happens, says Jung, when somebody sort of leans way over to their favored side, is they tend to, their non-favored side, so in my case, extroversion, tends to sort of come out in weird ways like they're not sort of dealing with, they're not acknowledging it and dealing with it in a healthy way. And just, so a really quick example that I'll share with you, this happened to me, gosh, 20 years ago now, 25 years ago, I was leading my first training program. I was co-teaching a little uh, sort of coaching program. And I knew that as an introvert, I tend to come across as you know, maybe a little quiet, not dynamic. So I realized this and so I decided, well, I'm gonna be extroverted. So I went around the whole session with this like huge fake smile, very loud voice, sort of, you know, approaching people in in this, what I thought was an extroverted way. And of course it came across as completely fake, turned people off. They thought I was some kind of lunatic, I think. Mm So, the session did not go well, so what Jung would say in an example like that is, "Well, you have not figured out you Jocelyn have not figured out how to integrate your uh, this other side this this side that's not your favorite side, extraversion, and figured out how to sort of integrate it in a healthy way and achieve you know a balance that would be make you more successful. That's just an example of this one thinker, Jung, and how he kind of takes if if you read what he says." about this thing that we all think we know a lot about, the, the you know Myers-Briggs, he really takes it to kind of a deeper and more, I don't know, a more challenging place, I think.
0: Right, so when you said edge there, it seems like there's an implication that there's maybe more of a dark side or you said challenging. Mm. I mean, I, you described something coming out in a sort of set with a suboptimal outcome, like that mm. extraversion that seemed inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, well, I guess in type practitioners might talk a bit about different types and their reactions to stress, but I'd love to hear a little bit more. So what are some of the more kind of edgy implications of the Jung perspective on this?
1: Well, so here's another, here's just sort of a related, but a a different thing that he talks about is, you know, with Myers-Briggs, and this is true with a lot of the present day thinkers that are kind of picking up on some of these ideas from the classic thinkers, they tend to take these ideas and they come out as sort of like an almost like an I'm OK, you're OK oh. kind of view of the world. And so for, with Jung, and again, looking at uh, Myers-Briggs again, I would say that the people who have taken Jung's ideas and brought them into the business world today, they they come out as sort of a, you know, I'm sensing and you're Intuitive. Uh, in, in, intuiting and, you know, I'm judging and you're perceiving. And that's all fine and it's all OK what What Jung does though, being a psychologist, i mean he was a person who was working with people who had problems and were coming to him, you know trying to make their lives better, and so he just acknowledges that and this is this is really what I mean by edge, i guess, in a way, is that you really need to grapple with these things that, and especially as a leader or as as any as an individual in business, you need to Think about not just, you know, okay, well, hey, I'm an INTJ, great. But you need to think about, you know, I'm an INTJ. What is what does that mean I'm likely to do wrong? What are the traps? What are the pitfalls that I'm likely to fall into? And a lot of these classic writers, these great thinkers, they spend a lot more time on the pitfalls that you're likely to fall into, that we as human beings and then you as as an individual are likely to fall into and sort of acknowledging those traps and, and figuring out how to avoid them.
0: Oh, well, now I need to know. What are my pitfalls as an ENFJ? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, well, you got to read Jung.
0: <laughs> All right, no, no shortcuts. So, well, thank you for that. And a, a couple others I'd like to dig into a little bit is, uh, what can you tell us about uh, Pericles? And what can he teach us about communication that's highly relevant today?
1: Oh, Pericles. Okay, that's, yes. Yeah. So Pericles, as uh, some of your listeners may know, so he did the the great funeral oration, which Thucydides, the great Greek historian, writes about. And so this was a, a funeral oration for the Athenian war dead hmm. in the 5th century BC in Athens. And Pericles' funeral oration what people may not know is that Abraham Lincoln, it is thought actually you looked at that funeral oration as one of the models for his Gettysburg address oh really so it's it's known as sort of one of the great speeches of all time, even you know picked up on by yeah. Abraham Lincoln. So one of the things that's interesting about Pericles and communication that I point out in my book is that a lot of leaders really emphasize kind of um they, they try to be inspiring when they communicate and they try to be inspiring by kind of painting this glorious vision of the future and here's where we're all going and what they tend not to do maybe because they they don't want to flatter people or they don't want to i don't know they don't want to maybe make people too too proud of themselves or something is they they tend to not emphasize kind of the the specialness of the enterprise that their team is a part of. Huh. So they're, they're kind of reluctant to, you know, I don't know, make people feel too good about themselves, I think. But Pericles, his funeral oration is all about these Athenians, what makes Athens so great, the Athenian character. It's really, it's as if a CEO were talking to an organization and saying, this is why this organization is so special and the effect that that has is it makes everybody in the room want to live up to that, that specialness. So oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a sort of a twist on the you know, the vision thing, if you will, because the trouble with visions is like, you know, here's this wonderful vision. Well, a lot of people are going to say, well, what, you know, why should I care? Maybe that's your vision. I, you know, I don't know why I should want that. But if you really talk about what makes this organization special, what makes you special, make it about the audience and what sort of all the things they're already doing right, and all the things that are already wonderful, then that's going to make them almost sort of stand a little taller, stand up on tiptoe and say, boy, I want to live up to that. I'd better live up to that. So that's one thing that I learned from Pericles.
0: Oh, that's fun. And, and for me, I'm drawing all kinds of connections here. So I guess some of the, the, the modern writing, I'm thinking about uh, Dr. Robert Sheldini on influence, talking about uh, commitment and consistency. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm part of this organization and this is what we stand for. Therefore, I yeah. want to live up to and be consistent with this image or vision. And, and I, that really was my experience. When I was working at Bain, I felt very much a sense of pride. And they talked a lot about the Bain DNA. And how it's it's hard for you to just it's hard for us to hire from the outside because, you know, not very many people have that. But, you know, some people do and we can get them in. But mostly it's homegrown and, and all that stuff. Nice. Well, that's that's good. And, and how about Machiavelli? I think of him as the original Frank Underwood. Uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> what can he teach us about change?
1: Yeah, Machiavelli. So it, here's here's another example of where people sort of have a you know the the these classic thinkers have come down to us in kind of a caricatured form almost because people will think of Machiavelli as you know Mac- Machiavellian. He's
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know his his book The Prince is known as the sort of how-to book for tyrants. It's got all this really sinister advice in it. Um, and and it it does, to be honest. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's you know he's a he's a tough guy, but Again, when you read The Prince carefully, what you realize is that Machiavelli has an extraordinary respect for the soft stuff. So he's a tough guy, but he really believes in the power of the soft stuff, namely how people feel about you and your your regime and your, your leadership. So he he's not um you know he's not one of these people today, the consultants today who would say you know, you got to focus on, on you know, ignore the soft stuff, focus on business, focus on numbers, focus on results. He would say the number one thing that a leader needs is the support of the people. He's very good on change. And just and going back to what I was saying about my earlier book, uh, when we first started talking today, he really is one of thinkers that believes that change only happens uh to a change is very difficult to make happen and b it's only going to happen and it's only going to stick if you have the support of the people if they feel good about you so the the leader machiavelli would say you know he's he's famous for being for for saying better to be feared than loved mm-hmm. but that's just one almost like a throwaway comment in in the midst of a lot of advice about how to win the support, maybe not love, but but certainly win the support and the good feeling, the goodwill of the people that you lead.
0: Well, boy, it's been so long since I read that. Could you refresh our memories? What are some, I guess, applicable takeaways in terms of how one does win over that support?
1: Mm. Um, well, so one thing that he emphasizes is the, is the importance of being with the people, go, you know, going and living with them, not just sort of staying in your in your palace or off in some other country and sort of letting your henchmen go and take care of it. He says, you've got to go, you've got to be there, you've got to be present. He also says, don't ever underestimate the trouble that you'll get into as a leader if you insult or humiliate people. He's very clear on, you know, you need to, if you make people feel bad about themselves, if you humiliate them, then they are not going to forget it. So if you need to get rid of somebody, and of course, he, you know, he's actually talking about like executing people, which is mm. not what we do, you know, mm. not what we do today. But the, the idea still applies. If you need to, you know, somebody's not the right person for a job and you, and you need to get rid of them, then show them out the door immediately, you know, get rid of them. Don't have them hang around and sort of make them feel bad and, you know, beat them over the head and humiliate them because they're never going to forget that so it's much better to if he's he's a big proponent of when there are problems you need to even if it's you know you have to do some sort of unpleasant things that are going to make you unpopular just do them cleanly do them quickly get it over with and then move on to win the support of the people that you know that you have around because if you know if people are angry with you if people feel insulted then you know it's going to come back to bite you
0: okay understood well so let's maybe tackle one more. It's like if if you had to pick one that you think might uh, resonate with uh, folks in the earlier part of their careers becoming more awesome at their jobs, uh, mm. who's another a classical thinker with a message we should uh, get our arms around?
1: Oh, I'm going to go with because this is just another unusual one. Mary Shelley who Frankenstein. wrote Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yes. This is could be my favorite chapter in the book. I don't know. I love them all. But I really loved the chapter on Frankenstein because people are so taken aback when I say, oh, Frankenstein's actually a leadership book. Mm-hmm. But it really is. Uh, and the reason is that, as some people know, some people don't know, Frankenstein actually refers to Dr. Frankenstein, not the, the monster, not the creature. And Dr. Frankenstein is basically a a leader who has made a bet on or he's made a bold move he's made a bet on this sort of big innovation and soon after it gets rolled out he realizes it's not working it's not what he thought it's not you know it's not it's not how he what he expected and and i think Everybody, especially early in their leadership career, can kind of relate to this. It's like, I, well, I, you know, it's my, I'm a new manager and I, it's my responsibility to make a new hire or to roll out this new initiative. And, and it never turns out the way you think it's, it's going to, you know, it never, it never matches the image you have in your mind. So, Here's Dr. Frankenstein. He had this great dream of, you know, creating this this wonderful creature. It was going to be so good looking and nice and everything. And suddenly it's it's like it's this thing and it's a nightmare. So what does he do in that moment? The question is what what as a leader, what do you do when that, you know, scary thing rises from the table and it's not what you thought it was going to be, this new product or this new hire or this new system? What do you do? Do you run from it or do you step forward and engage with it and try to make it, you know, do do you face your monster or do you run from it? And Frankenstein, um, Dr. Frankenstein, runs from his monster. He he does not face it. And it it turns out later in the book that really all this so-called monster wants is to be heard. He Mm -hmm. wants somebody to listen to him. And Frankenstein fails utterly at that. He just says, oh, it's a monster, it's a fiend, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try, I'm just going to run or try to kill it. And so he makes a, a grave mistake there that a, that a lot of leaders make. Um, what And what Mary Shelley would say, I think, to leaders is, you know, it's one thing to kind of face down an adversary, but it's much more courageous when a leader steps forward and faces up to his or her responsibilities, faces the monster Engages with with this you know this this thing that you created and listens to what it has to say.
0: You know I, I like that and I, that's something that I've been discovering more and more is that when you see something that you just think is dumb or bad, <laughs> just to be very simplistic, and, and mm-hmm. it's like there is a kind of understandable explanation at the root of it in yeah. terms of of people just kind of doing what's best for for them and their families and their careers. And and it just happens that uh, given the incentives or system or misunderstanding or, or something, it just results in having a bit of a mess sometimes. That's
1: right. That's right. And the toughest thing, I think, for a leader to do at any stage of, of a leader's career, I think the toughest thing for that leader to do is to sort of step step forward into the mess, into the scariness, into the, you know, people who are yelling at you or making objections or complaining to step forward and listen rather than, you know, shut your eyes and say, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to run away.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, Lovely. Thank you. Well, I, I don't know. Is there anything else that you really want to make sure you, you get out there before we kind of shift gears and go into the, the fast faves, rapid fire pieces?
1: Oh, I think the the only thing I would say is just that there, as as I started out by saying, is that I think the 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 thing that w- is really great about this book for leaders, especially leaders early in their careers, is just that it's all the best ideas of leadership from the past two and a half millennia in one manageable book. It's a easy read. It's fun. It's entertaining. I've built, built in a lot of stories and practical tools and contemporary ideas that link to the classic ideas. So it's a fun read. So I encourage people to pick it up.
0: Certainly. And you say, so you've compressed a two and a half millennia and it's a handy summary. Is it, is it shorter than the uh, Summa Theologica or what's the, the size there?
1: <laughs> it's, it's about 300 pages All right. and each chapter is uh, about 10 pages. So you can, you know, go, go to the chapters that interest you and uh, read them quickly.
0: All in one volume. Yes. Okay, very good. All right, so so now I'd love to get your, your take on some some quick responses to here are some of your favorite things. First, Thanks. could you share, and it sounds like you might have a ton, so feel free to share two or three. Could you give us a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, my favorite quote, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's many. But Maya Angelou is one that I often come back to and um uh, my most recent favorite quote from hers is when somebody shows you who they are believe them mm-hmm. um and oh she has she has another one that that I love oh i know what it is it, uh, people will forget what you say they will forget what you do but they will never forget how you make them feel and that that's something i've tried to remember in my life as a leader is that that people will We'll never forget how you made them feel. Oh,
0: lovely. And how about a, a favorite uh, study or experiment or a piece of research you find yourself thinking about or referencing frequently?
1: Favorite study? <laughs> well, I okay. This is plugging my own work here, but 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 really, the the research that was behind my, the previous book, Strategic Speed, that that research about what really contributes to speed and what doesn't. That we looked at many many organizations and many initiatives that, uh, organizations, um, had undergone the ones that were successful and the ones that weren't. And then looked at the, you know, the factors that contributed to speed or, or slowness. And I still love that research.
0: Well, I, I'm looking forward to taking a look myself. And can you share with us a favorite book?
1: Oh, well, <laughs> I have, I have, uh, you know, 20, 24 of them oh, well, all that's, in, that's in, the great, in the great song leadership. They're all my favorite books. I, how could I pick one? I can't pick one. You you want one from that's more recent?
0: I will take one at random that is resonating with you in this very moment.
1: Okay. Uh resonating with me in this moment. Okay, well, <laughs> the one that's actually resonating with me in this moment, because I'm taking this Eastern Classics program, is actually the Bhagavad Gita, which is the great Hindu right. classic, uh spiritual classic. Uh, featuring Krishna and uh, a lot of other characters, so yeah, that's that's what I was reading most recently.
0: How big is that?
1: It's short, actually. It's embedded in in a huge, but the longest book ever written, which is the Mahabharata, hmm. which is literally the longest book ever written, and the Bhagavad Gita is like I don't know, maybe forty pages in embedded in in the Mahabharata, so not that long.
0: All right, I might tackle that one. I tackle that. How about a favorite website or online resource you really like? Online resource.
1: You know, what? one of my favorite websites, it's a British website and it's called The School of Life. Oh. And it is a company in London called... It's Actually, the company is called The School of Life and the organization is called The School of Life. And then the, the website is called The Book of Life. And they are a very interesting organization that does training, leadership training, personal effectiveness training, but it's, it's sort of a cross between training and education. A lot of sort of interesting people come and give talks there. But anyway, the website is called The Book of Life, and it has a lot of interesting tips for, on sort of individual effectiveness and just, just how to operate in the world.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit or a personal practice of yours that's that's really been a key to your effectiveness?
1: <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say this. Having a dog and okay. and, and walking the dog every day. <laughs> my wonderful Australian shepherd, Cassie.
0: What does that do for you, the, the dog walking?
1: <laughs> it uh, Well, A, it, it's my exercise, going for an, an hour-long walk every day, and B, it's my meditative time, you know, and can't get out of it because the, the dog wants to go. And she makes me go. So
0: (laughs) Symbiosis there. Yeah. How about a a favorite tool? Any uh, gadgets or software or frameworks that you use often?
1: Oh, you mean uh, like a technology tool or?
0: It could be a technology tool or it could be, well, I also think about sort of two by two matrices or frameworks that uh, help you put thoughts into context or perspective as a tool.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. Okay, so... I, am, okay, I'm going to point to something that's, that's in my book, actually, but it was drawn from some work that colleagues and I did at Forum a while ago, which is a, a change process and a, a change model, and it's called the five phases of change. And it's actually in the chapter on Machiavelli, which is about change. It's a way to recognize phases of change so that you don't assume I've got to go, keep coming back to this theme here so that as a leader, I don't assume that everything is going to happen all at once. Like, you know, you you start out on a, on any kind of effort, any kind of change effort, and you tend to think, okay, I'm going to, you know, things are moving, things are going to get done. And what inevitably happens is is that you hit this thing called the plateau, and you need to be prepared for that. You know, you need to be prepared for the, the natural phases of change that are going to that are going to unfold. So I, it's just a, it's a model that helps me remember, you know, uh, helps me anticipate what's going to happen and not be distressed when in any area of my life where it seems like, oh, things aren't going fast enough, things are slowing down, things are going wrong. You know, it sort of helps me go, oh, no, okay, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm in phase three now or now I've hit the plateau. And so now I, it, it helps me kind of stay grounded.
0: Oh, great. And how about a favorite uh, time-saving trick? You like to go fast any little tactical things you do to accelerate?
1: Uh, time-saving tricks. Wow. Hmm. You know, my—I <laughs> th- th- don't know if this is a time-saving trick. This is this is my anti-procrastination trick. All right. Which is that I, um, whenever there's something that I am feeling like I don't want to do, or I'm I'm procrastinating. I tell myself I'm just going to work on it for five minutes. So I just I just tell myself just just. All you have to do is just work on this thing for five minutes. And inevitably what happens is I I end up working on it for, you know, an hour or two hours or whatever it may be. But it just, it, it's kind of a way to trick my mind into taking this thing that looks, you know, odious and long and heavy and just saying, oh, just, you know, you just got to work on it for five minutes. And it just helps me kind of, you know, jump into the pool, so to speak.
0: Do you ever say, okay, five minutes is up, I'm out of here?
1: I, you know... Okay. I don't think I have ever done that because I, I just, I, you know, I get into it and once I'm into it, once I'm in the pool, then I'm swimming around and it's, it's usually pretty fun, whatever it may be.
0: Oh, great. How about a favorite uh, gem or, or nugget, something that when you uh, communicate or teach it, uh, folks really start taking notes or, or tweeting it or highlighting it in the Kindle book.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing that people have, have really, Resonated too, and I'm thinking again about the Great on Leadership here. This this book that I've been been tweeting about is this just this idea that leadership insights don't necessarily come from the usual suspects. That mm-hmm. you know you, you you can look in odd places. Like I mean, like I just said, you know, the, I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita, and you said, oh, you know, I really I'm I'm going to pick that up and look at it. Another example is this crazy book that I was reading for a class recently called the Yoga Vasishta, Another Huge book of of you know yoga philosophy and the professor who's teaching the class said oh this book is so scholarly you know nobody really reads it not even in India well I went on Amazon and looked it up turns out there's 900 reviews of this oh, there you go. this book on Amazon and I'm reading through the reviews and just re- and and here's plenty of people all saying. I love this book. It changed my life. This is the most useful book I've ever, I've ever read. So I just say that because I'm, I'm finding that, I don't know if this is, this is a, you know, a, a nugget exactly, but just this idea that wisdom is found in unsuspected, uh, unsuspected places, unusual mm-hmm. places, I think is, is something that people really resonate to.
0: Oh, great. Thank you. And how about favorite way to find you is it be best to go to your website or Twitter or or what's the the top place you'd point folks?
1: I would point folks to my website, which is jocelynrdavis.com.
0: Okay. And final kind of parting uh, challenge or call to action. Is there any uh, one thing you'd challenge folks who are seeking to be more awesome at their job to tackle?
1: Mm, I would say, quoting Shakespeare here, be not afraid of greatness. There's many people, especially younger folks starting out early in their careers who think, oh, you know, I'm not a leader. I'm not, I don't have that title. I don't have that. That's not my job. I would say, don't be afraid to be great because there are uh, you 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 don't need a you don't need a t- fancy title. You don't need a corner office. You don't need you know a million Twitter followers to be a great leader. You just need you know your own willingness to learn. You need some fellow learners to to talk to to help you along the way. And you need some some great teachers, which are you know who these great thinkers are that I talk about in my book. So go for it.
0: Oh, lovely. Well, Jocelyn, thanks so much for for taking this time. It's been a treat, and I've got a lot of reading to do now. And uh, <laughs> very much appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much, Pete. It was fun.
0: Okay. Well, I hope uh, that conversation uh, with Jocelyn Davis inspired you to maybe dust off some old classic books and see the wisdom there that's waiting for you to apply and treasure. Or just get her own book to, where she did the work for you, like she said, The Greats on Leadership, Classic Wisdom for Modern Managers. And you can check out the transcript and reference to these pieces at awesomeatyourjob.com slash Ep 7 catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.